The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. Welcome to Through the Glass Columns, a Wheel of Time read-along podcast. Each week, we will be reading, discussing, and digesting a small selection from Robert Jordan's fantasy opus. This quest is led by Tyler, a true Wheel of Time warrior. I have all stories, ages that were and that will be. And I'll be joined by Greg, a complete novice to the Wheel of Time. The Wheel of Time and the Wheel of a Man's Life turn alike without pity or mercy. Join us each week as we read the Wheel of Time in our own sweet time, traveling deeper and deeper through the glass columns. But what does that even mean? No, 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 no. no. You don't get to find out yet. (laughs) It's something unpredictable, but in the end, it's right. We hope you had the time of your life reading The Dragon Reborn. Hi, this is Greg, and I'm the host of Through the Glass Columns, who just got the dirtiest look from his co-host. I would not uh, have let you here. start with that bit if I knew that was the bit. <laughs> uh, we are here, of course, to do our season three finale. Tyler, cue the sound cue you came up with. I don't have one because that's outside of my wheelhouse. <laughs> Ding, I guess. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Ding, ding. It is our season finale talk. So uh, just a fresh reminder to our faithful listeners uh, that we are not doing our usual format tonight. We decided to to break format to just do a one episode kind of wrap up to celebrate and mourn uh, here at the end of book three of the Wheel of Time series, The Dragon Reborn. So if you did your reading at the start of book four, now is not the time. And remember that we will return fresh in the new year uh, to begin that journey with you. That's the new year 2024 if you're listening in real time. If you're listening in the future, then go right ahead. Skip to the next episode. Uh, by all accounts, Future Us says this one is subpar. Joining me, Greg, who knows nothing about uh, the Wheel of Time, is Tyler, who knows a lot about the Wheel of Time and really just should take over the show and I should just walk away. Go ahead, Tyler. I don't know about walking away. I thought that was wonderful, mostly because I got to take a little break at the beginning of the episode. That was fantastic. I do just want to emphasize what you were just saying about scheduling. So the next episode that we will be releasing is on January 3rd. And I want to note that episode will only cover the first chapter of The Shadow Rising. I should also note it will be the longest week we have had by word count in the entire series. It's a really long Mm. chapter, y'all. So give yourself the little bit of extra time. Start reading early if you are a relatively slow, slow reader. Uh, So prepare yourself for that, I suppose, is the end of the introduction here. Um, I don't want to spend too much time at the beginning of this episode previewing what is to come, mostly because I am unable to do so without risking spoilers. So I want to turn our direction or our discussion to looking backwards a little bit. This is the episode where we have just about a week ago finished up The Dragon Reborn. I would love to get, well, it's as fresh in your mind as we can get. What are your thoughts on this book? What was your overall impression? Where would you put it? I like to think about rankings a lot. Would you put this above or below the other two books in the series? Uh, You are giving me 
a terrible flashback to uh, I was on a I was a guest on a movie podcast called the Nostalgia Test, and we put Raiders of the Lost Ark through what they call the Nostalgia Test. But at the end, totally apropos of nothing, they threw the question at me to rank the Rocky movies, and they said it with such force and confidence. I could not confess that I had never seen a Rocky movie, Ooh. and so off the top of my head, I made up my Rocky movie rankings. <laughs> And put them in a specific order with reasons. So if you are asking me to rank this among all 14 Wheel of Time books, here we go. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, we will stick to what we've covered so far. Um, it's a really good question. And um, I'm going to say as preamble while I think through my answer that um, when I spent the week kind of reflecting on this book and thinking a lot about it, it was striking to me how it did and did not follow the model we've come to expect. And, yeah. you know, uh, take uh, your well-worn uh, through the glass columns metaphor that of choice, but it's usually the roller coaster hill up and then the exciting downhill or the slow smolder of the fuse and then the bursting of the powder keg. And if anything, I would say this was a more extreme version of that, that it yeah. felt like we were going right up until like two or three weeks from the very end of the book saying like, and it's about to do stuff. And um, that's kind of interesting to me. So when I'm thinking about my ranking, I'm thinking, well, it kind of followed that. But then I would say if if like the measure was how good the bang at the end was or how good the ride was, yeah, I would say this kind of fizzled or whimpered more than it blew up although ironically it did actually blow up so yeah uh but uh so i think for me then all that preamble aside i think that means i would probably go uh from descending order so my favorite of what we've read i would say book two yeah then book three then book one um of the three i've read now yep. here's my full ranking 11 7 6 5 3 1 10 wolf. 9 wolf okay i missed like half of them no. i know that 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 is my favorite random set of numbers that you have ever pulled out on anything <laughs> that we've ever done I'm going to clip that for once we get to book 11. We'll see how you feel about this. Um, I largely agree with that assessment, right? I think this book, um, the way that I often have, have thought about it is I think that this book, the first two thirds of it are the best early book of any of the three that we have read, right? Right up until kind of the, the point where every other book has made the transition to like the big epic ending. I think this book did the buildup better than either that have come before it. And then I 100% agree with you. If we judge uh, Wheel of Time books based on their epic conclusions, I think this might even be number three in terms of epic conclusion. But for my money, I care more about the people we meet along the road than the destination we end up at. And so it's my highest rated of the three, but I 100% feel exactly kind of the, the reasons that you're giving. I think we are agreeing on what the characteristics are and just disagreeing on what the most important characteristic of a Wheel of Time book is. And that's how this should be, right? And I think, honestly, the majority of people probably agree with you. I think The Great Hunt is probably the most beloved of the three early Wheel of Time books. Um, mm. In my rankings it is worth noting the eye of the world is dead last at number 15 the uh, great hunt is at number 13 and then i would put the dragon reborn at number 10 
So we are doing better, but we're still double digits. And it's worth noting, if you arbitrarily divide this series into the books that have single digit rankings and the books that have double digit rankings, we've already read half the bad ones and none of the good ones in my list. So please stick around with us if you've only been kind of okay on this so far. <laughs> uh, man, I think I got lost in the math of that statement somewhere <laughs> along the way, but... Um, I will say it reminded me, um, you know, I'm not a Trekkie, but I know that you're supposed to not like the even number movies, I think is I think the, the opposite. Goes, I think because Wrath of Khan is number two. So evens are good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, that's really interesting. Uh, just to tease next season, because why not? Is uh, book four higher than what we've just talked about? Oh, yeah. Uh, I can tell the okay. entire podcast what I think I told you maybe a week ago because I think my wife let it slip. I've been trying to avoid my thoughts on future books, but I can reveal we recorded the very first episode of this podcast almost exactly a year and a half ago today. And I recorded that episode, mm -hmm. walked out and I told my wife, man, that was really fun. I can't wait till we get to book four. <laughs> like that's what Excellent. i said so we'll just leave it as higher yes. we won't necessarily know how high for that Correct. um well I, i'll lead into my next thought then because um you know it, it, this is actually my uh you know my uh training as a star wars fan is you can judge things against what you thought they should be but yeah. you also should evaluate things on what they are and so if I just kind of evaluated it against the model of what I thought would happen. I should also kind of judge what it is, in other words. And so I, when I was thinking, okay, it didn't follow that pattern exactly, or if or if it did follow that pattern, it was uh, kind of a, a whimper at the end. So that made me think about, well, then what is this book? And how do I want to remember this book for what it it achieved? Yeah. And I came down to the phrase that the, the goal here seems to have been to build out the supporting cast, right? Yeah. And I have some suspicions about how many of these kind of extra characters are going to be around forever. Mm -hmm. But it felt to me that, you know, um, Matt and Perrin uh, and yep. Egwene uh, all got kind of a real... Uh, thick plot, a juicy mm -hmm. plot to to kind of develop and change across these books. Um, you know, Egwene had a pretty good one last book. Uh, don't want to deny kind of the the trauma yeah. and all that happened, but it really felt like um, Matt and Perrin had been in, in more of a holding pattern yeah. since book one, and it was like book two wrapped up, kind of got them out of stasis, and then this book uh, really advanced them. Yeah. Um, and then to that list, um, you know, I was thinking about how Min kind of got a promotion early in the book and then disappeared. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we have Fael, we have, um, you know, uh, Tom coming back and getting kind yep. of more prominent placement. Um, and then we have Elaine also kind of yep. getting a promotion. Um, that's right. Yeah. Now it's like I'm quizzing myself on all these names and not confusing them. Um, and so there are a few more we can mention there, but it yeah. feels like the point was, okay, if this, if this is going to go the distance as a, a story, as a, um, as a series, then we're gonna need more people, and and I've yeah. previously likened that to to Rohan being added in the Two Towers. Yeah. And it's a little like that, but it 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 seems more expansive and and also a deepening of that. Which, yeah. as a thing to do in book three, that's a pretty good thing to do, and that's making sense to me. 
Yeah, and I think the thing that interested me the most about uh, kind of this introduction of all of these new characters is that Robert Jordan's thing that he seems to love to do is to introduce you to a new character, get you excited to that about for them, and then send them away. And then later on, you get to see mm. them in a new place and new interesting things. But I think if we look at the track of this book, like we start with Min, who gets sent away to the White Tower. We're now excited to see what happens when she arrives there. We get the Shinarans at the beginning of the book who are just left behind by Moraine. And then we get some like cryptic hints later on that one of the Shinarans, Mazima, is now like preaching the Dragon Reborn in Altara or one of the other cities. Um, we had the uh the what was he the the sniffer Hurin, who was with them at the beginning of the oh, yeah. book who returns uh to the north i think we even just get that in like a, a discussion we don't even see him at all in this book and then as you mentioned we also introduce a variety of other characters kind of along the way right we met um matt met aludra the illuminator um we had a uh, gall and bane and shiad and avienda all of the aiel who arrived um even just in the last chapter of the book we had barely the first of Mayen and Ruark, the uh, clan chief of the Aiel, it's just a long list of new characters. And I think at this stage, all that I can really say is like, oh my God, look at all the cool names. I don't really have too much to add to that. But I think you're exactly mm. right. If we've been thinking about these books as being like they kind of slowly build and then the exciting stuff starts, I think it's time to recognize that I think this series is doing a little bit of that too, right? Like book three still feels mm. like it's in the build the cast stage stage and not the blow everything up big exciting climax stage yet yeah and you know um we're both just uh great movie lovers as much as we pretend back to the future 2 or similar things are great achievements we actually like real good movies uh most of the time um although we just we spent this week going to a kind of dorky documentary so maybe we we have bad taste we'll see but uh you think of the classic three act structure and and what you're saying to me is that you know a good story has three acts that you know it's kind of exposition uh climax resolution if i were to be teaching this um to yeah. to college students and uh that also like my son learned that in third grade that's not college students uh, content but um and so i think you're right that i'm still very much thinking of this is still that first phase like i yeah. don't even know that we necessarily have rising action and as we saw here at the end of the book when we defeat baalzaman and then we're like jk that wasn't him um yeah. or that was him but not the dark one tyler yeah. i remember our lesson um then that to me starts to feel like yep this was all just preamble and now things are really going to get going yeah rand really assuming the role of the dragon reborn feels you know if you were to draw the classic triangle pro plot diagram that seems like a great corner yeah. to just start the path up the mountain little engine that could style so that makes it exciting um but also um, you know, it, it, you start to say like, well, I am like 1800 pages into these books. Yeah. Like, should I be frustrated that more hasn't happened? No, <laughs> you should not. Let me answer that question for you. Um, I think that in general, that I've kind of summed up my feelings about this book. Is there anything else that you wanted to say overall before we move into America's favorite game show? What characters had POVs in this book? Uh, I do. And it's a little bit of a transition, so uh, it'll probably work. So so I 
so my third bullet point in my notes is I thought about this whole, whole book is like, like in the pursuit of adding all those characters, the question for me became who got lost, right? Yeah. Because they, you know, if you keep adding characters, somebody ends up getting short shrift. Um, yeah. And so I, I listed two that I think are kind of obvious. Well, one is incredibly obvious Rand. Right. And right. that yeah. seems to have been the point of the structure was like, let's set him aside. I would say second on my list is Lan. Do you yeah. think this is a weak Lan book? This is a book where I think Lan does a lot of really expositional heavy lifting. I think most of the times mm. that Lan shows up, we get like one really quick Lan character hint. And then he says, let me tell you the eight things that I have learned while I was scouting ahead. And I think that's a valuable role for a character. But if you talked about like the last book, putting like Perrin or Matt in a little bit of a holding pattern, it feels like Lan is in a holding pattern here, right? He's not absent from this book in any way. He probably actually has more lines than Moraine does, I'd be willing to bet. But in terms of like advancement for his character, there is absolutely zero. I think that's exactly right. Well, and and there you hit upon my third name on this list. And I, I had it with a question mark, which is, do you think Moraine was, was sidelined in this book? Now, I want to pick up on your land comment and just note, it's kind of hard to forget. There's like a giant plot with him. I mean, first, the love story of Nynaeve yeah. and Lan, which got zero service. And one would assume they were in the same building at the yeah. end, right? That um, maybe we'll, you know, I, I think book two started with kind of them all gathered in one place talking about what had happened. So maybe we'll get a little of that in book four. But um, but there's that plot. But then the idea that he's the like destined king of the north yeah. and could raise his banners, it's like, Oh, right. That's like a thing. And, you know, it makes I think there are things like that that have to wait five, six, seven books to come back around. Yeah. But it's like we're going to have to get some reminders of that or some some hints of where that's going. So but back to the question I asked, is Moraine on the sidelines for you in this book? Do you think this was a diminished role in a, a crucial way? I think that Moraine has gone in this book from being someone who we're debating whether she would be nominated for Best Actress to being someone who is a surefire Oscar winner and Best Supporting Actress, right? I think uh, Moraine in this book, uh, the, the immediate thing, I don't know why this jumped to my mind. The first thing that came to my mind is Viola Davis in, um, oh, what was Doubt? Is that what it was called? The the nuns and the uh, Viola Davis plays a mother whose son has potentially uh, been abused by a priest. And the movie is about nuns trying to cover it up, but she literally got like three minutes of screen time. And then I think won the Oscar or at least was nominated for it. And that's kind of how I'm thinking about Moraine in, in this book is she doesn't get much screen time, but what she does get is an opportunity to really kind of, we, we've thought of Moraine as kind of a slightly more mysterious character in the books than in the TV show. And I think a lot of what Moraine did in this book is like creep around in the background and be like, look at how quickly I can kill dark hounds. And that's not the meatiest mm. role, but it, it really gets me interested in Moraine, even though I think she was side stage much more than she has been previously. Uh, you were correct on your guess about Viola Davis uh, for some Googling while you were talking. Uh, so you had those details correctly. And I like that analogy uh, because, you know, in Oscar circles, we call that 
category fraud now, yep. um, uh, which isn't actually accurate. But there are a lot of times there's there's a whole bunch of those types of shenanigans going on this year. As yep. we're recording this, we are uh, probably going to hear that Ryan Gosling gets nominated for Best Supporting Actor, even yeah. though the definition of that is very shady because that sound, seems like Ken is awfully central to the movie. But I'm sure their defense is, well, it's called Barbie. And yep. the whole point is he's supporting to Barbie. So so he gets there. But um, it's it's it is a really interesting question. Um, like the literal awards question is very interesting. And when you apply that to these situations, it's like I, I almost think of like if it's a character I love, I think, what do I want? Do right. I want the reduced role that's really potent and meaningful or would I rather have the kind of more central uh, role here now? Rand probably moved even further down. He he doesn't get yeah. nominated for this year. Maybe the the Emmys is a better uh, analogy oh, yeah, since we call. will eventually have TV shows. Um, so he probably wouldn't get if the structure of season three matches the book. We probably wouldn't see Rand get any awards attention or mm -hmm. the actor who plays Rand because he's just not in it enough and then would come back. And, and you know, I think some of the Game of Thrones seasons did that, that yeah. they would push a character so far to the side that, that you know, you wouldn't even uh, see them for for the bulk of a season. Um, I actually didn't intend to, but in my head, I'm thinking like, well, that's a really interesting question then of like, can the television show structure it this way? Yeah. Or if it's season three and people know it's based on the Dragon Reborn, are they going to want to see Rand? Um, you know, Lost actually got away with, exiting characters and bringing them back at different times for like a season or two. But I, I'm not sure a lot of modern shows get away with that. Yeah. Um, Cause people love their characters and get that attachment to them. So interesting questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if we're thinking about characters who got sidelined a bit, I would also just add one other name to that list. And I think it's not necessarily because she doesn't play a major role in the book, but just because I think she was at one point, a major POV character and she doesn't get as much of that in that book. And that would be Nynaeve, who I think in previous books I would have put kind of on par with Egwene in terms of the amount of like attention and, you know, in her headness. And in this book, I think Egwene kind of becomes the the very the the most common POV if we are with the the group of Nynaeve, Egwene, and Elaine. So she also, mm -hmm. I feel like, gets, if not sidelined, at least put into like the supporting as opposed to leading role more in this book. Well, that just makes me want to tug my braid and cross my arms over my breasts. Uh, so uh, maybe it's time to go to the game show then, because you've provided us with a perfect uh, transition. So for listeners who forget or maybe have joined us during uh, this season, at the end of the the season, Tyler likes to play a game with me where which is just cruel and rude, but Correct. you know it it makes for good content. Um, so he has a list, as I recall, a ranked list of which characters got POV chapters mm -hmm. and who had the most to the least. And it's, it's not by chapter length. It's just purely the number of chapters or it, slash vignettes or word count actually is what I use. Oh, it is number. word count. Oh, pause for the edit. Tyler will never do. And it's game time. This is actually, I think of the 15 books, maybe the second easiest of them. Which means okay. it's going to go horribly. Um, let's walk through this. It's a fairly short list this time. Who do you think was our number one POV yeah. getter? 
No, 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 no. I want the I want how many there are first. How many total? Nine total. Nine total. Can decline if you want, but give me the number of words for number one and the number of words for number nine. Number one is almost exactly one third of the book. Number nine mm. is just under 0.1% of it. I am going to take, so I'm, I'm stuck between essentially the three from yeah. two rivers Rand's far down the list, but I'm stuck between the three. The, the ranking is I the hard part of this lot, list. Yeah. So I'm going to recall a lot in the middle of the book about uh, Tarvelon. And mm -hmm. so I'm going to go with Egwene for number one. Good work. That was the thing I thought would be most likely to trip you up. Egwene comes in at 33.2% mm. of the word count in this book. Almost exactly a third. Nice. Uh, and then the ranking remains difficult. So... Yep. Matt had a lot of chapters where he was in Tarvelon and kind of bopping around, but mm -hmm. was kind of absent for a while. Perrin was kind of steady because some of those early chapters were Perrin, even though we were more interested in what Rand and Moraine were perhaps doing and, and kind of those people, the dragon. I'm going to take Perrin as number two. That is correct. And the early part of the book is exactly where you get that. He is the POV chapter for, I think, like the first seven or eight chapters in a row. That definitely is what separates him. 31.4% of the word count. Perfect. So then Matt has to be three. That is correct. 26.4. Those two characters combine for almost 90% of this book. Over 90% wow. of this book. I don't know. I don't teach economics. I can't figure this out. Uh, I do like uh, in the popular mythology of Tyler being an economics professor, it's become Tyler must be good at arithmetic as if that's what <laughs> economics is, is just basic arithmetic. I mean, to uh, be fair, I basically have a PhD in calculus, so that's not a bad assumption. <laughs> All right. So we've knocked out those three. So then the next tier down to me has to involve... I mean, Rand is creeping somewhere in the middle. If there's a big drop here, it which is I'm a assuming huge there is. drop. The next is 2.8%. So we're at 10% as much as Matt. So I am tempted by Rand, but I still, I mean, Rand, it was just a few little paragraphs. So I'm going to go Nynaeve next. That is correct. You are killing yes. this today. Nynaeve <laughs> at 2.8%. And there are five more? There are five more. Oh, I my know, Lord. I know. Um, that is crazy to me. So, who I know must be in the mix somewhere. There has to be some moraine somewhere in here. Incorrect. There. It, no, she didn't get a single. She POV. gets no POVs. Moraine is ah. really rare. Moraine and land very rarely happen. Okay. Um. Well, then that makes sense because they know too much. Did we get other people in Tarvalon? Did, oh, yes, we got the, the Amerlin scene. Mm -hmm. So she's somewhere in here. She is somewhere in But you're in not there. confirming or denying. She's next. She's, you're just letting me hang myself with my Yes, answers. that is accurate. Um, we did get a Tom along the way. No, we did Some not. Some moments with Tom. No, we did not. Okay, so. All of the Tom so moments the, were from Matt's POV. We're there. So we have the Amerlin scene. Fael did not get any. Correct. At all. 
We once we you get... once you get Rand and Suwan, we are now on a select difficult to get list. Let me tell you. <laughs> so there are three more. Three more. Other than those two. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna go Suwan and then Rand for the next two. Rand is actually next at 2.4%. Ah. And then you are actually missing a character from the prologue who also beats out Suwan. Ooh. Yeah. Character from the prologue. I I don't know. I think at this point I may need to be providing (laughs) some names. Uh, So if we had one Egwene, two Perrin, three Matt are the big, uh, Nynaeve and Rand are both over 2%. The other character over 2% is Padron Nial, the Lord Captain Commander of the White Cloaks, who was our main viewpoint character Mm. in the prologue of the book. Then Suwan comes in at 0.9%. Then we have the other white cloak from the prologue, Jaikim Keridin. And then All we right. have one more name who gets 0.09% of the book. And I got very excited about it. Who was our last POV? You're well, not last in the book. I was like, wait, it no. ended on uh, no. Um I don't remember. And I actually, now that you said you got very excited, I remember the episode that you got excited in, but I don't remember what at all was going on. Varen. It was when Egwene got the Ah. uh, dream Terangriel from Varen. We very briefly popped into her head Mm. for some mysterious self thoughts. Uh, That was right. I am very impressed, right? I honestly thought that the ordering (laughs) of the top half of that list would be the challenge. And you made it to number five without any errors. Good on you. Uh, (laughs) If ever you figure out to jot down the names of the POV characters from the prologues, this is going to become a much easier game for you. Uh, I actually- And I like that I have to remember that literally tonight or tomorrow, (laughs) and I won't. (laughs) I'll just continue on with my life. Ignorance is bliss. Uh, uh, Yeah, sorry. <laughs> what a wonderful game show! In in the uh, in the <laughs> tradition of good British game shows, there are no points. You win nothing. This is just here for comedy. Mm. Uh, and I think we should make the transition then that every game show should make uh, directly from <laughs> you competing to see whether or not you can list the POV characters of the book to a, a discussion of Milton and his influence on Robert Jordan. <laughs> you know that thing that every good game uh... show has. Yes, uh, uh, Win Milton's Money is the name of the game show. <laughs> that was the first one that came to mind with a name in the title. I, I'm sure there's a more obvious one. Um, the, you know, Win Ben Stein's Money is like a 40 year old reference at this point. I don't I know. I get it, though. Early That's 90s. all that matters. Yeah, yeah all right. Um, so uh, it was a very funny experience. So um, shout out to uh, our friend slash listener, Ben, who we played Dungeons and Dragons with a week ago. And he's like, you better remember those Milton Angels because you <laughs> promised to to get into them. And uh, I had completely forgotten. But but for listeners that may have forgotten, I, I made a promise that I would kind of explore some of these names because we were noting that when we were dealing with the Forsaken and some others that we were seeing some kind of biblical names and I am a bad Sunday school student. So instead of uh, being good on the Bible, I'm really good on uh, Milton or, uh, you know, Paradise Lost, which is the epic poem John Milton wrote. Um, This is uh, one of the reasons I became a literature PhD and probably my favorite grad school class was just a semester on on Milton. I just went to uh, London this summer and um, you can 
Uh, you can actually, he's buried in the church at St. Giles, um, which just so happens to have book sales most Saturdays. So you can go in and see his tomb, whereas you wouldn't uh, be able to otherwise. Um, it's a very tiny church that somehow survived the Blitz. And so it's completely surrounded by um, these just God ugly uh, concrete monstrosities from the like post-war yeah. brutalist rebuilding of, of the city of London. Um, so I, I'm a big Milton fan. So this is why it stood out to me. So I wanted to do a little diving. I want to also shout out, we have a, a good friend, uh, Carl, who is a, uh, a chaplain at a university here in town because uh, we only hang out with academics. Um, and Correct. so uh, one of the, the funny things about uh, this research is I was like, I'm the wrong guy for this. Like I'm on Carl's parts of the internet. Um, <laughs> so it, it kind of was like, I, I but um, I did do a little bit of digging and I'm going to just kind of preface this discussion and say uh, it didn't work out. Uh, basically, you know, if we were kind of I was suspecting that there might be kind of one to one parallels about what's going on here. And this didn't work out partially because of I was conflating a couple things and some uh, just uh, some ways in which there are these uh, conflations of the categories of angels outside of me. Um, so that's me saying it's 50% my fault, 50% not my fault. So the thing I was conflating is um, we had kind of been inspired to pursue this by uh, Samael, Samael, yeah. who uh, was the forsaken we were dealing with towards the end of this book. And uh, notably, that's listed as the name of an archangel. So I I was getting I was looking around and um, I had conflated the archangels who are essentially in Milton. They are the highest level of angels. Uh, more on that in a minute. But um, they we had previously seen some figures that I had assumed were fallen archangels. Milton essentially doesn't have fallen archangels. There's yeah. they're the archangels who are the lieutenants of God. And then there are the the fallen angels who are the lieutenants of Satan. And yeah. for people who aren't familiar with Paradise Lost, Paradise Lost um, is primarily focused on Adam and Eve. Uh, that's the kind of key uh, biblical part of the story. But the beginning of the story is Satan having been expelled from heaven. Um, and he wakes up laying in the sulfurous field, the Stygian field of hell, and just starts like, well, Oh, now we got to do something else and starts his plan to get his revenge, revenge, revenge eventually by uh, taking down uh, Adam and Eve. So a lot of this comes from the angels who uh, the war in heaven story is told in essentially flashback in good epic poem in Medius race. So among the fallen angels, here's where we'll finally uh, get a little bit on track. We do have uh, Beelzebub, uh, who is the second to Satan and is essentially Satan's mouthpiece. And yeah. we had pre previously talked about Beelzebub as a kind of relation to the name Beelzebub, right? Yeah. Those are not uh, equal, but a lot of these names are, you know, come to us from Hebrew in the Old Testament. And so there are kind of transliteration name changes yeah. like that a lot. So Samael, for example, is you know, Samuel when it's Anglicanized and, yeah. and and so on. Also among Satan's fallen angels. So these would be Satan says, hey, let's overthrow God. 
uh, doesn't go well, uh, and they get cast out of heaven. So these are the the angels that end up in hell with Satan. We also have Belial, which uh, is pretty close to a Belal, uh, yes. Forsaken yeah. Belal, and uh, so that gave me some hope. I'm like, oh, we're on to something here, Cass. You got it. Uh, so uh, Belial, um, and then we have Mammon. Moloch and Mulsabur. Uh, and so these are all figures that are from the fallen angels. And some of those names are kind of close to Forsaken that we have not met, but will. Yep. But to go so far as to say there's a one-to-one -one correspondence, I think would be far too too generous. But there yep. may be a relationship. Absolutely. Um, While you were saying this, I just want to say I looked up, I got up and walked away and went to grab the origins of the Wheel of Time by Michael Livingston. So I am slowly getting mm. all of the Forsaken names so I can give you their actual <laughs> origins to uh, complement your thoughts as we are going through this. Excellent. Uh, so among those fallen angels, they each have kind of a value that they are um kind of in charge of essentially like they represent or they're symbolic of. Yeah. And so I just wanted to note Basil, Bub as the mouthpiece of Satan is really interesting with this new uh, relationship. You taught us last episode about Baalzaman not being the dark one, but kind of a mouthpiece of yeah. the dark one in, in some ways. Uh, Belial is uh, impurity. Mammon has eyes downward all the time. Uh, Moloch is, and and he's he's for greed and money. Uh, yeah. Moloch is idolatry, and Mulsaber is essentially a uh, Christianized form of Hephaestus from Greek mythology who makes armor and such. Um, okay. So he's gonna arm the angels. Uh, in Milton, then we have we do have archangels, but these are of course different than the falling angels. He uses uh, Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, Abdiel, Ethereal, and Uriel, who was yep. the inspiration for my original Dungeons and Dragons character. So the most important um, detail here. Absolutely, uh, because I have nothing else to say about those archangels. They each have a specific role in the book, uh, but they uh, do not, in fact, I have will... a real role in this. I will just note Gabriel uh, has a pretty uh, close similarity to Gabriel, which is the name being taken by Morghese's lover slash potentially uh, betrayer. And remind, definitely not me, but listeners who Morghese is. Uh, Morghese is the queen of Andor. So recall when Matt was going to deliver the uh, letter to Morghese, he overheard the conversation between Gabriel and another man about trying to kill Elaine. Excellent. Uh, all right. I'm going to bring this home because the rest of this is largely not relevant to our discussion. And then I'll let you give what is relevant to our discussion. So when you dive into the Christian side of things, basically uh, the archangels were never the like highest rank of angels. This is uh, oh, interesting. in the in Wikipedia. It essentially says Milton screwed this up. Milton changed it. So archangels meant the highest rank in Christian and I believe uh, Judea, uh, Judaic um, uh, origins. They are second lowest. Hmm. So when you look at the Christian set of archangels, you primarily get uh, the seven who are identified. And so I I think the numerology is what's probably most interesting here, but that would be Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, 
Uriel, Kamel, uh, Jophiel, and Zad Zachiel, I think. Um, sure. And I think, again, you can kind of picture how those names get Anglicanized as we go forward. Yeah. Where then does Samael come from? Why did we get on this path as a part of it? Well, Samael is a archangel in the Talmudic tradition. And uh, where this largely comes from is the book of Enoch. And this is where I became a pretend Bible scholar. So the book of Enoch is a apocryphal, apocalyptic gospel. Or not gospel, book of the Bible, of the Old Testament. So essentially, this is an account of the Old Testament that is not considered canonical to the Bible. That's what makes it apocryphal and apocalyptic because it's about the end of the world. Among that that book, there are fallen angels, of which Samael is one, and they are called the Bad Watchers. And the Bad Watchers took the forbidden knowledge of the evil dark things and they came to earth and taught the forbidden knowledge to humans they intermingled they you know in kind of greek roman ways they they uh greek roman mythology ways they they uh bred with with human women and shared their knowledge and so on and that's where we get 13. Uh, so there are 13 okay. watchers or frozen or, or fallen angels. Um, and I was like, this is it. I've got it. These are the names. These are going to be one to one. And so I will tell you, none of them match yeah. this. So just because I've been this far down the rabbit hole, they are the 13 watchers, which are in no way related to the Forsaken, are Arachiel, Armoros, Azazel, Gadriel, Barakal, Bazaliel, Chazaquil, Kokabiel, Penemu, Serial, Samyaza, Shamsiel, and Yequin. <laughs> yeah, none of those. And that's all I have sense. on angels. <laughs> no, not at all related to the 13. Uh, but it was fun to think about the idea of 13 forsaken Aes Sedai yeah. does seem not all that far from 13 fallen angels. Totally. And those 13 forsaken each potentially possessing some part of the forbidden knowledge that is going to be reintroduced here. Um, I think that's probably the most tenuous connection I can make, but uh, it was worth doing. I promised you five minutes. I think I just took, uh, yep, 98 minutes to go through all that angel material that ultimately means nothing. So walk us through what you actually know about real things. But I uh, hope I hope that was okay, listeners. But go on, Tyler. No, I, I think exactly where we end up with that is what we found is a connection for maybe three or four of the Forsaken. And that just sounds like Robert Jordan, right? We get uh, you know, yeah. hints and grabs from a little bit of everything. Um, a couple of these you absolutely nailed. It is worth noting, um, Samael, it is directly noted, is from um, Jewish literature and the Bible. Nailed it. Um, we also had, um, nope, that's not a forsaken name that we have met yet. Um, it's also worth noting- Shamael. Absolutely, Ishamel. I was just going to say Ishamel, which is also biblical. It's not an angel name, but Ishamel would be uh, one of the forebearers of Methuselah, who's also a forebearer of Noah. Um, yeah. First son of Abraham, according to this book that I have in front of me. Yes, that sounds like a Bible thing. I remember learning that. <laughs> um, it's worth noting Lanfear is a very simple one. It's a combination of the word fear with Lenfer, which is uh, hell in French. 
And uh, Gabriel, as we noted, is named from the Archangel Gabriel. And then I just wanted to give you your flowers. You are 100% Belal uh, derives from Belial, uh, which is a Hebrew word meaning worthless. Nice work. Hmm. You just said you want to give me your flowers, but somehow made it feel like you were calling me worthless. Uh, no. So can you just, those that you just listed, that's all we've met. So there are, I mean, our, my Googling got me on the internet. So we have, there are 13 uh, names out there. We will eventually know them all, but. That is correct. There are 13 out there. I believe at this point. So in the first book, uh, Agenor and Belal were the two who were there, correct? That sounds right. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had Lanfear, we have Ishamel, we have Gabriel, who we don't know if we have uh, their uh, forsaken name, if you will, but we have a name for them. And then we have Samael. And no, I'm sorry, Belal was in this book. Belthamel was in the first book. So we have six so far that we have identified. Okay, that's more than I guessed. Interesting. Um, and I, I think part of why I wanted to do that deep dive and, and I did have fun doing it. I mean, yeah. find a weird Wikipedia rabbit hole and, and you're going to have a good night. Uh, and you know, a care, a can of adult beverage alongside, like that's a perfect night. Yeah. Um, but it does feel like this transition moment we hit at the end of the book felt like we're going to be getting much more into the forsaken and yeah. Leading up to the dark one, so hopefully that's that's helpful and that gives us a little bit more to to go on as we start to find these, um, and maybe we can continue to track those origins and some of those inspirations yeah. as we move forward. Absolutely, and I will be no use for it at all. But I have a book by Michael Livingston <laughs> that will give me all of the answers, so I'll sound smart anyways. Mm. Uh, the next thing that I have on our agenda is something that we did at the end of the first book, and then we kind of skipped at the end of the second book because we were already an hour and 15 minutes into the final episode. And I think getting this section an opportunity to breathe was kind of my big motivation for splitting this episode off rather than you know just having the end material at the same time as we were, you know, finishing up the book. Um, and that is that I want to just kind of take an opportunity to revisit the prophecies that we have seen throughout these three books that haven't come true yet, just so that we can kind of very quickly kind of like have the images and thoughts in our brain right before we start reading book four. So we know what the important things to be looking out for going forward are. I have a lot of these. I'm going to go through them, say like four or five images at a time and just like say them let you say any thoughts or predictions you have and we can go through these relatively quickly okay unfulfilled visions from book one all of these are images that min saw when she was looking at tom she saw a man juggling fire who was not him when she looked at Perrin, she saw a broken crown and a field of trees flowering and when she looked at matt she saw a red eagle an eye on a scale, a horn, and a laughing face. I think at this point I am willing to cross the horn off my list because I'm pretty sure, you know, that kid blew the horn of Valir. But everything else here I would think of as still unresolved. Is there anything else here that you thought of as I was reading off that list? Either thoughts about what you think this might be now that you've got more information or anything that you think might actually have occurred on the page? Uh... I think the laughing face for Matt mm. makes me think about the fact that he's playing with the dark one's luck, I believe mm. was the phrase in this book that 
Uh, it strikes me that that could be the represent. I mean, a, a laughing face makes me think of the Joker or yeah. a Joker, and there's kind of that uh, roguish quality to this identity. Um, the one that was really interesting there, you said Perrin, it was a broken crown. Yes. Right? That is of interest to me because we just talked so much about his great skill at blacksmithing and mm -hmm. reforging. And so um, I don't know. We don't ever reveal when we record this, but maybe I just saw a feature film about a very short Frenchman who uh, has this famous speech where he says he picked up the the crown of France from the gutter uh, using the tip of his sword and placed it upon his own head. And um, it feels to me like, I don't know that I would have said this last book, but it feels like if there's a broken metal object near yeah. uh, Perrin, it'll be about reforging it as opposed to him bringing down a monarchy of some kind or what have you. Absolutely. No, I think that's a really good read. Um, let's then move on to Min's visions around Rand that she saw in book one. A sword that isn't a sword. I think we might have fulfilled that in this book. Um, mm -hmm. A crown of laurels. A beggar's staff, Rand pouring water on sand, hot irons, three women standing over his funeral pyre, and a black rock wet with blood. Hit me with that last one again. A black rock wet with with blood. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so, uh, sword, I agree with you. Uh, three women, we still have no idea exactly which three those would be. Seemingly, Elaine and Egwene might be two of them. Could the third really be Lanfear? Um, Lanfear's last message was kind of like, He's mine, stay out of my way. Yeah, so take care of him for it, me, right? I think was the lesson. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then everything else, I mean. Laurels to me means the ascension to a position. Is that becoming the dragon reborn? Is he there now or is there still more to come? Does he have to name himself king or emperor? Um, I just saw this movie where, no, I'm not going to do it again. Uh, but yes, uh, to assume, you know, laurels tend to mean more yeah. empire than kingdom uh, in my book. Absolutely. No, that's a good call with the Roman connection. Definitely. Um, the only thing else that we got in book one has 100% been fulfilled but I just want to call out the fact that we had a prophecy that the stone will not fall until the dragon takes the sword and the sword cannot be taken until the people of the dragon are in the stone A. Came true in a way that we maybe didn't expect and B. I think we somehow made it three whole books without referencing the fact that the sword in the stone is a thing that indirectly happened in this book series. Um that's a prophecy that definitely came true, but we've been hinting at it for two full books, so I thought it was worth a reference. Any thoughts on that Sword in the Stone parallel before we move on to prophecies from book two? Only that, remember, the Sword in the Stone, of course, would be a story from King Arthur, and we also have Arthur Hawk King in this book. Yeah, absolutely. Good call. Um, Min's viewings from book two. Elaine will be a queen. Egwene, she saw the white flame. Galad won't notice who he will hurt. Nynaeve, she saw a man's ring. I'm willing to cross that off. She is carrying land's ring around everywhere. And Elaine, a hot iron and an axe. So a few quick images here and there. Anything stand out or that you think maybe has been fulfilled? 
Uh, no, I mean, uh, sorry, that, that was Elaine becoming queen seems very obvious, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. We we have a, a clear like heir to a throne, so that, that really just threatens more gays and maybe with Gabriel, I think was the name. Gabriel. Right? Uh, Gabriel, uh, that we could see the end of that kingdom sooner perhaps than we would have previously thought given this. Yeah, no, good call. Um, okay, prophecies from book two. Um, that one we did in the previous book, that one we did in the previous book, that one we did in the previous book. Uh, we learned that Rand will be of the ancient blood raised by the old blood. And then we also learned from the Aiel in this book that he would be raised by an ancient blood other than the two that he descended from. At this point, I think we can definitely say he is descended from the Aiel and the ancient blood that raised him was Menethrin, but I think we still probably have some doubts about what the third of those bloodlines would be. Um, the other prophecy that we had in this book are two additional. Um, one of them is twice and twice he shall be marked, twice to live and twice to die, once the heron to set his path, twice the heron to name him true, I think, once the dragon for remembrance lost, twice the dragon for the price he must pay. I did that one off the top of my head. Sorry if it was slightly Nicely off. Um, and then the last is twice dawns the day when his blood is shed, once for mourning, once for birth. Fun prophecies. I don't think we have any. Well, we're halfway to twice and twice he shall be marked. Any other thoughts on these sure. grand prophecies that stand out to you now that we have a little bit more detail? He's a chosen one. What? I mean, yeah. Like okay. I, I think these all those just scream to me that just further confirmation that he is the epic figure this is all going to revolve around. Cool. Book three, I have a couple of real quick ones. Min had a couple of visions that I think matter. Um, one was an Aiel in a cage. I think we can actually mark that one off for Perrin, but it is worth noting that that is important to Perrin, even though it was a very quick event that we kind of moved on from. Uh, Min also saw around Perrin a Tuatha-An with a sword and a falcon and a hawk fighting over him. And then we also had an Aiel prophecy in this book that when the stone falls, the Aiel will leave the waste, changed but finding something that was lost. Any thoughts on these prophecies? I think other than, like I said, the Aiel in the cage, nothing we have a definitive answer to. But the Aiel leaving the waste seems at least like an intriguing hint for if not next book sometime in the future. Yeah, that, that to me screams that it's imminent. Uh, the thing they lost seems to be Rand because they came out seeking Rand. And so they found him and he will lead them. As we talked about last book, it seems like yeah. that's the kind of big twist of that last section of the book. And it's like, okay, we, you know, I have, I think you have a good knowledge of it, but I have trouble always remembering like there was a major Aiel war and that's yeah. the war in which Rand's father fought and, which found Rand in, yeah. which means it's not all that long ago, right? Yeah. It's it's the it's more like World War One to World War Two than it is, you know, yeah. some ancient conflict or something like that. And I think we've gotten hints that the people on this side, the peoples on this side of the continent, are still very much afraid of the Aiel, yeah. and that they really came right to the walls of Tarvelon and the sides of Dragonmount, right? So. Yeah. Um, they are a mighty force to be reckoned with. 
What does that mean? Um, do we think of them as like the Sean Chan kind of in waiting as a, a potential foe, or is this more like the forces of good? That's where my head's at on those ones. Cool. The last thing I have is a list of things that Greg hates. That's right. It's Egwene's dreams. dreams. Uh, I have just oh. a whole <laughs> bunch of these that I just want to run down. I think most of these are just like quick images that there's not a lot of analysis, but if one or two of them stands out to you, I'm curious what they are. Okay. Egwene dreamed of white cloaks branding her father's hands, of Rand kneeling in a dry, dusty chamber while dragons settle onto his skin, of Rand confronting the Sean Chan, of a hawk fastening a collar on Perrin's neck, of Perrin with a beard leading a massive pack of wolves, of Matt and the Sean Chan interacting, of Matt putting an eye on a scale, of Matt hanging from a tree, of Perrin jumping from a cliff saying I must learn to fly before I reach the bottom, of Min springing a trap, of the White Cloaks ravaging the two rivers, and of a White Cloak putting Master Luhan, the blacksmith, in a trap as bait. That's a lot of images. What one or two kind of jumped out to you immediately? Uh, a lot of two rivers anxiety in that. And I think I'm curious at the moment is, you know, if this were purely kind of subconscious dreams, that would just represent anxiety, right? Yeah. Like worry of having law left that world behind uh, the equivalent of like still having dreams about your middle school test that you're not prepared for. Yeah. None but of us do that. Is there, today. <laughs> uh, is there still something there that the, the, Two Rivers is actually in danger. And and we've yeah. previously referenced the scoring of the, the Shire, right? Yeah. As a kind of model for like, what if the, I mean, usually the last step of Campbell is supposed to be a fight for the home, right? Yeah. So is is the, the home being controlled by the forces of darkness and what will that mean? It seems clear that everybody knows everything originated in the two rivers now. And, yeah. and are, we, we have to wonder what's going on there. So- that's what stands out from that list. Otherwise, I took a nap and had my own dreams while you were listing the dreams. Yeah, and that I think is perfectly valid. That sounds like a, a good approach to take to something that makes up, you know, 30, 40% of the books. No worries at all. Uh, <laughs> so at this point, I don't have anything left. I think this was a really good book. I think we are trending upward. I am excited to see where we go from here. Any last thoughts that you have, predictions, things that you're excited about? I'm going to let you take us out of this because I don't want to say how excited I am about book four and overhype people. But, oh, my God, y'all, we're about to start book four. <laughs> uh, I would say it was a very enjoyable book. It was another enjoyable season. This uh, project continues to be really fun and exciting. And, you know, I I joke at times that Tyler dragged me into this kicking and screaming that is not accurate but it was certainly more his enthusiasm than uh like something i was dying to do um but uh you know it's been very enjoyable so far and, and i'm very excited to start the next book there's a compliment to tyler somewhere in there but i'm gonna just leave that out because that's mushy stuff listeners don't want to hear well edit especially it tyler don't doesn't want to hear oh, okay yeah <laughs> uh just just the like me in your home alone tape recorder going like tyler is a good guy. Uh, yeah, I both like have that. a Greg soundboard and only do editing if it's someone complimenting me. So this sounds exactly <laughs> right. Uh, so I am excited for this next season. And, you know, I uh, it, it has been only a year and a half, but we've gotten used to this kind of six month 
per book. So one of the things I'm apprehensive about is we're going to be spending a lot more than six months in this yeah. book. Um, we are going to start this journey with you in January. And I think Tyler said August before we really wrap it up. Right. He's a thick boy, this book. Uh, I, I'm pretty yeah. sure the, the quickest we will possibly get through this book is 34 or 35 weeks. So it's going to be a long wow. journey, y'all, but it's worth it. Yeah. And it is really exciting. And, you know, um, I think you don't come to fantasy books afraid of thick spines. Like you just have to embrace and um, love the fact that uh, somebody takes this long to to build a world. So um, the last thing I will say to close it out is uh, again, uh, we are recording this just in the beginning of December and we just got a sneak peek at our Spotify unwrapped numbers. And we know we have a lot of listeners in a lot of different places but the Spotify unwrapped numbers kind of blew us away. And uh, what became very striking to us is that a lot of people have been joining this journey um, over the course of this year. And that yeah. often means going back to the beginning. And so those of you who have either been with us since the beginning or who have caught up to this point, um, we're so glad you're here and we're so glad you're doing uh, this journey with us. And um, we are committed to continuing on. We have no reason why we would stop till the project is done. Uh, and we hope that that gives you excitement. We hope everybody has a restful holidays. And then we will see you in the new year for a little book called The Shadow Rising. Chapter one, when we see you again through the glass columns. So ends another episode of Through the Glass Columns. We thank you for joining us and continuing with us on our quest to cover all of the Wheel of Time in our own sweet time. This podcast features original content developed by Tyler Orm and Greg Cass and is not in any way affiliated with, associated with, or condoned by the Robert Jordan Estate, Tor Fantasy, or Amazon. All content is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're enjoying this podcast, please seek out the books from your local bookshop or library and join us as we continue our journey. If you'd like to contact us to share your thoughts or give feedback, you can email us at throughtheglasscolumns at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Through the Glass Columns. Thank you once again for being part of this community. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to the show, leave us a review wherever you're listening, and recommend this show on your social media to help us grow our community. We look forward to welcoming you back next time Through the Glass Columns.